This episode of Agency Dealmasters is brought to you by Account Insight, the B2B programmatic advertising platform for B2B agencies. Account Insight helps you deliver tailored ads to high-value companies because today's B2B buyer decides digitally and in teams of up to 40 people. Account Insight helps you solve the problem of marketing to whole accounts, not just to one person. That's why smarter B2B marketers use account-based advertising. Founded by former WPP executives with extensive experience building and delivering B2B solutions, several friends of the show and leading B2B agencies use Account Insight to deliver targeted ads. You can find out more at accountinsight.ai. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. His name is Riaz Kanani, and he's the CEO and founder of Radiate B2B. And if you are interested in anything, to do with account-based marketing, to B2B marketing, to brand building in B2B specifically, the role of creativity, then this is an absolute masterclass on all of those things. We have a fascinating deep dive discussion around how do you engage with those companies that are in, in market? Yes. But more importantly, how do you engage with those companies that are not in market right now? Because prospects are coming into your pipeline much later in the sales process. So you can't just wait until prospects are on your website or engaging with your content. That's that's way too late. The opportunity now is to engage further along that buying journey at the top of the funnel. But in order to do that, you need to widen the funnel and start engaging with prospects much earlier. And if there's anyone who knows more about complex B2B buying decisions than Riaz Kanani and the changing landscape, then I don't know who that person is. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Riaz Kanani. Riaz Kanani has always been fascinated by technology and people. He has built global video ad networks that understood user behavior, launched the first paid for cinematic movie online, exited Digital Oxygen to Silverpop, now IBM, helped build demand generation strategies and engagement marketing strategies for companies across the globe. Today, he's helping to build a better way to do B2B marketing that increases both average contract values and the speed of closing contracts. With Radiate, he is using scaled account-based marketing to build awareness and accelerate deals through the pipeline. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Riaz Kanani, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thank you for having me, Nathan. Good to be here. Really excited to speak to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. You've been entrepreneurial from very early on in your career. You set up many businesses in the early 2000s. You helped businesses get online, building websites and doing a lot of design work. Then you go into radio. After that, you built one of the world's largest ad networks. And subsequently, you had lots of big clients off the back of that. Was entrepreneurship always the way that you wanted your career to go? You know. I never actually ever thought about the word entrepreneurship, I think, until probably two or three years later when people suggested to me that it was time I got a job. Entrepreneurship back then was was not necessarily seen in the cool, fashionable way it is today. Hmm. I just did it because it seemed the natural thing to do. I mean, when I, you know, I started my first business at 16 and it was just fun to do really and when I went to university and came out of that I had a choice really I, I looked at the big four I, I mean I 
you know, a couple of years ago, I, I thought back actually for the first time in decades of what would have happened if I'd gone and joined one of the big four consultancy firms and how different my life would have been. Mm. And in the end, the dot-com bubble bursting meant that it was a relatively straightforward decision at the time to go and do something that I enjoyed doing that was interesting in pushing the envelope. And the rest, as they say, is history. In 2001, you co-founded First Media, a video technology startup yeah. sort of licensing model, and you built it to become a really successful business. I mean, you grew the platform to be one of the world's leading video SaaS platforms for advertisers. And you say at the time, you didn't appreciate it back then because you possibly peaked too soon. <laughs> how, how do you reflect on, I, on, on that experience? I, I, I'm not sure about peak too soon, maybe, but, <laughs> but it was, I mean, you know, we, we had this piece of technology that we'd we'd got hold of and identified and it was a brilliant piece of technology and naive me looked at it with with the other two co-founders and and said this is going to revolutionize the way we deliver video across the internet i mean you know without going into too much of the detail we were we were reaching 99% of computers in those days the nearest competitor was about 35% and so it, it just felt like a no-brainer. And then we, we ran into the business world, eyes closed really in hindsight, and went slam into the back of a brick wall. And when we realized that basically no one cared about this particular piece of technology and, and didn't really want to invest the time to get over the initial hurdles to, to make use of it. So we ended up, you know, big learning really. We, we ended up pivoting that business and building out the infrastructure that allowed us to deliver video advertising. And as soon as we did that, there's still some other hurdles, but as soon as we did that, suddenly the conversations were, you know, oh yeah, I get that. I can use that. Okay. Um, what do we need to do? And suddenly you're taking yourself out of a technology focused conversation and into a, you know, this is the value that we can bring to you conversation. Let's talk a little bit about B2B because that's where your experience sort of lies really. So we're going to have a long winding conversation about all things <laughs> B2B. And, and you say, quote, the buying experience is broken, submerged under an avalanche of generic content and combined with homogeneous mix of channels. Explain what you mean by that and what should the buying experience look like? Yeah, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Um, when I left Silverpot, I basically looked at the world of MarTech and all the new innovative things that were happening. And I just wasn't inspired by it at all. And I said that I wouldn't do another startup. Um, I said that I would get out of MarTech and do something else. And, and I did that. It felt like a decade, but it was only, it turns out it was only four years. And it was probably the only thing that would bring me back to B2B marketing specifically in this case was the realization that the way marketers, B2B marketers and specifically, were delivering experiences to customers was basically geared around churning out more and more content, more and more micro events, acquisition costs were soaring. And that meant two things. Either every year your marketing budget has to increase to just keep up, or the quality of the lead that gets delivered to sales starts to decrease. And, and that's what we, we, you know, we see this today is, is sales teams are up in arms about the quality of leads being passed through 
on the one side. And on the other side, if you're a buyer going into a space, you delay sharing your contact information with the vendor because the minute you do, you get bombarded with emails and content and it all feels the same, unfortunately, across all the different vendors. And it's not a great experience. And so it felt to me like B2B marketing was ripe for disruption again and, and a new way of looking at the world that would change and transform the way B2B marketers did B2B marketing. And that, for me, is a fun place to be. That's a, a time at which uh, you can reinvent and, and look at what the current situation is and, and figure out how do we make things better. So just set the scene for everyone sort of listening right now. I mean, where are we in B2B marketing now? I mean, we've seen over the last few years the introduction of marketing automation HubSpot, Marketo, mm-hmm. Eloqua go down the list. Um, and then we're seeing increasingly sort of the DMP platforms. And, and you know, we're seeing uh, the introduction of ABM and programmatic and a number of different sort of micro-targeting tools that B2B business, businesses are using. There's a lot of confusion out there, especially around ABM. So maybe just set the scene a little bit as to kind of where we are now in 2021 as far as B2B marketing is concerned what the evolution has been over the last few years. And then the next step from that is talk a little bit about define ABM for us. So okay. maybe let's start with setting the scene and then we'll talk about ABM specifically. Yeah, I mean, we're in what to me clearly feels like a transition stage, right? We don't have mature best practices for account-based marketing that we do with, for example, demand journal inbound marketing that we've had for a while now. And so what you have is on the one hand, you've got demand generation strategies that are still being used successfully alongside inbound marketing, but there's a realization that the status quo doesn't work. You can't keep churning out more content. You can't keep trying to increase your reach. And so you have to do something different. And that's why you're seeing so much happening around this, what I call the operational side of marketing, right? So you've got the brand, the very broad brand side of marketing, which is all about building awareness beyond your current market. So, you know, to allow you to expand over time strategically. But in the operational side of things, what you have going on is several things, really, not just one thing. You've got, you've got this buying experience that I've already talked about. But you've also, you know, another side of that buying experience is they're millennials now or they're much more au fait with technology, let's put it that way. And they consume information in multiple ways and they aren't as friendly to receiving phone calls or as responsive on email as they once were. And so, you know, not just on the marketing side, but on the sales development side, you're seeing much more sophistication happening there as well as on the account-based market on the, on the marketing side with account-based marketing. And, and the two things go hand in hand, really, because obviously account-based marketing goes across the whole pipeline, right? And maybe I jump to the definition of ABM so that hmm. gives some color. ABM is this ability to take a known list of accounts. It could be one when you build a marketing plan around a single account, or it could be a cluster, or it could be many. But the, the key aspects to it are that you know the list of companies, you've done some research and got some insights behind that list of companies, you know, why are they in that list, and some understanding of, of what makes that list unique from another list. 
And you don't just necessarily start with the minute they turn up on your website, right? It starts with the fact that you've identified them as a possible client and right the way through to when you close and sometimes even beyond, right? So you've got customers absolutely sit inside your account-based marketing program and you can look to use that to land and expand those those customers into even larger customers, if that makes sense. Now, so let's talk about this in a bit more depth because we know that for any target group of companies, those that are actually in market and ready to buy your products and services, they're only about sort of about 5%. You know, 95% of the market are not are not in market. They're not ready to buy. They're probably nowhere near it. And yet we're marketing to 95% of those people that are not ready to buy. It seems like a waste. Yeah, it's the age old of, you know, where do you invest your time? And usually, almost always, the limiting factor or the limiting resource in closing deals is sales. The sales team can only handle a finite number of accounts. And so if you put an account in front of them that isn't either valuable to you strategically or isn't at the right time, then you're wasting that salesperson's time. And so marketing, you know, if you take, let's call it marketing 2.0, the the rise of marketing automation, the whole goal behind that automation was to basically nurture and hold all these prospects until the right time and at which point you pass it through to sales. The problem today is that the way those systems have been built, they're geared around this idea that they're going to land on your website and convert. Hmm. That's step one in that process. And the simple reality is, is that versus five years ago, seven years ago, prospects are coming into that first step much later in the sales process. They're researching off your website. They're, they're reading publisher websites. They're reading analyst commentary, they're talking to analysts, they're going to comparison websites, review websites, all of this stuff is happening before they've raised their hand on your website. And so now, today, you can't just wait for that time at which someone converts on your website because either you're late to the party and you know a few of your competitors started a conversation either by luck or through some of the platforms that are around today. Um, they've started the conversation earlier and so they've already influenced the conversation to the point at which, of course, now you're on the back foot and you have to figure out how are you going to turn that conversation to your strengths. And so getting in earlier and getting in at the right time is incredibly important today. So give us an, an example of what that looks like then, maybe sharing an example of a client that you've worked with. How do we start that conversation earlier how do we get in with a buyer much earlier in the sales process relative to our competitors yeah if we do want to target that five percent that are in market give us an example of what that looks like yeah so i mean there's a couple of ways and it's where our focus is today the first one is is obviously data right what data can you collect either through partnerships with websites whether that's you know the comparison websites or whether it's publishers who are, who are providing intense data type content and that obviously gets you in earlier but the other side and way that we found with our platform is that you know the core part of our platform is the ability to target individual companies with advertising whether that's one ten hundred thousand whatever it happens to be and there's an interesting thing about advertising which is that you don't see it 
unless you're interested, right? You consume the the brand subconsciously, but you don't actively notice it unless you're interested. Mm. And and if you're thinking about that topic, then you do see it and you do consume the brand and you consume the message associated with it. And of course, if it is interesting, you'll, you'll click. But actually what we see more of is that they magically appear on your website. So again, there's a hesitation to click because, you know, for whatever reason, we're, we've been built that into people that you don't click on display ads, but they magically come to the website. And so we had a campaign last year with a HR analytics company where 80% of the companies we targeted magically appeared on their website. It's astonishing, really, two to three months. I'd, I'd love to repeat that every time. We, we talk about generally 20 to 30% of the companies you target being on the website every quarter type metrics. That's what we expect on average. And, and that single point of appearing on your website means they're thinking about it, they're actively interested, and that's a great time to be either picking up the phone or reaching out in some way to start a conversation. And, and of course, once you've broken that first barrier down, you've now got the ability, even if they're not in market for three months or six months, you've now started that conversation and that allows you to be one step ahead of your competition. But you can see why B2B marketers on the brand side are, are confused. I mean, they're <laughs> talking to lots of different agencies and vendors and they're all saying a slightly different thing. And I'm with you when you say that we're on you know, B2B marketing is changing and that, you know, we have all of these clever tools now that enable us to target that 5% that are, that are in market. But what needs to happen in order for this new age of B2B marketing to kind of become mainstream? And this is the way that we all do marketing now. What stars need to align? What needs to happen? And, and what are the biggest risk factors to stop that from happening? I think the, the stars are already aligning, you know, COVID obviously was not something any of us wanted to happen. But sure. whenever you get a situation like that, where, where it's effectively forced the entire, well, not the entire, but certainly the majority of people online, as a marketer, you haven't got a choice really, but to move to where your market is. And if they're all online, then, then that's where you have to be. And so you know, we've obviously seen an acceleration in spend online as a result. And so that has obviously helped ABM significantly for a couple of reasons. One is it works and it's very targeted, and especially in the current environment where you know that if you throw money out there at a whole market, a whole swathe of that market is just not active right now or is suffering because of COVID. So you don't want to waste money unnecessarily on those segments. And and then, you know, you've got the environment around, we've got all this data that that's hardly used by by marketing that we could make use of that's already there in place we've got these problems with the the bio experience that's already there and so you know i think the environment's already here and now actually it's for us um, on the technology side to actually deliver the experience right marketers you know clients that we see adopting abm you start to see a mindset change in terms of no longer is this a black box with which that you throw things at and hope something sticks. You start to think about the companies that are within your market and actually your relationship with those companies. And you start to measure mm. how does that move? So, so you talk about 
the importance of, of data, and this is something, you know, B2C has kind of been way ahead of B2B on for, you know, for many years and being able to use that data to sort of target individuals with the relevant ads. So talk about how those ads show up. What do those ads look like? Are they personalized in the way that we personalize consumer ads? Because I guess one of the arguments has been B2B in B2C for a long time is that because we now have data and we know individually who these individuals are, we we don't have to be as creative with our messaging anymore because we're not targeting an amorphous mass. We're speaking to individuals. So the reliance on having this creative mm-hmm. ad is, you know, there's less of a reliance on that now. What do those ads using intent data look like in B2B? Okay. So I don't think creative ever disappears. It, it, it'll always give you an edge. Creativity is, is, is always going to be important, whether it's B2B or B2C. But as a marketer, I don't think you ever want to rely on your success rely on creativity for your success. I mean, mm. you always need to have more than more than that. And B2C, you know, I spent a lot of time in email marketing with B2C as well as on the B2B side. And yes, they get faster access to trends because they have so many people that they're contacting at once. And you can, you can understand that. And on the B2B side, we don't, have the ability to do that. Sales cycles are typically so long that that's quite difficult. But where we have the advantage on the B2B side is because the numbers are smaller, we can we can typically take many more attributes. And, and obviously there's more people involved. So there's you know multiple attributes around a sales cycle that you can use to then understand more about that prospect than you would ever do on the B2C side. And from an advertising standpoint, um, and, and in terms of you know how that looks it depends on where they are in the relationship with you right so you know i think it's best practice today or or it's at least increasingly more well known that you know functional selling is not the great approach and five years ago ten years ago we always used to talk about you know focus on the benefits and and not the features i think we've moved on from that another step which is towards storytelling and a more emotional connection to your audience and that definitely still exists in the b2b world is you know whilst there may well be at some point in the sales cycle a checklist that you have to tick off um the people that are in a room together making that decision are human beings they they are emotional and they they will have their preferences and they won't necessarily be logical um and so this is what i say about the messaging being dependent on where they are in their relationship with you. If they've never heard of you, then they need to start to build up a picture of why you exist, what what is your purpose, right? But as they start to engage with you and they're starting to be, you know, maybe they're in pipeline um, at that point, you know, your messaging needs to change slightly. It needs to be more made, and you know, there isn't a one size fits all, but as an example, you know, it can be about the hygiene factors that are concerning that particular client. It can be about safety, a feeling of safety and a feeling of trust. And again, I'm still using emotions rather than specific features. But, you know, I know situations where we've had a pitch going on and there was a concern that a particular capability of that business wasn't good enough. And so you're still playing to that safety concern, that safety trust thing, but you've actually put a message in front of them that is actually all really about the functional benefit and not about the story 
but that's because for that particular client, it made the most sense. And that's the key thing here is that you've got the ability to tailor the messaging right down to the individual company if you need to. And it's, it makes sense from an economical standpoint. But, uh, you know, all technologies are tools. Um, the fundamentals of marketing, I don't think change really. They, they haven't changed for, for decades. It is still about understanding the individual and sending the group in the case of B2B and understanding what is it that is going to connect with them and break through. So you talk about the importance of storytelling and the emotional connection to the brand. Yeah. So let's talk about the importance of branding in complex B2B decisions. I mean, the CMO knows that, hey, in order to build a brand, that's the most effective way of ultimately driving demand at the bottom of the funnel. But it takes a long time to build a brand. And while you're doing that, there are investors and there's shareholder <laughs> pressure and there are you know quarterly earnings and you need to drive demand now and leads yep. now. So there's this tension between quarterly performance and the long-term vision of the brand. What role does brand play in complex B2B decisions? It plays a huge role. I mean, even if you're not investing in brand, it's still playing a role. Like, like your your mere presence is a part of brand. And so you're still doing it. It's just it's just you're not investing enough at the top of the funnel potentially to to drive that that demand later. It's so one of the things I like about account-based marketing is it's no longer about just, okay, I invest in brand over here, I invest in demand gen over here, right? Yes, you're still going to have the market-wide campaigns that are happening, but as I say, just gives you broader sector awareness. And if you've got, you know, if you're big enough to be able to afford that investment, then great. Most of us don't have the budgets to invest significantly in that type of activity. But the nice thing about account-based marketing is it says, actually, I can focus my brand's investment on a very specific niche, and that will drive awareness within that niche in a much bigger way than you were able to do previously. And there, and you'll know exactly how much you're investing on a per account basis. And, you know, a percentage of them will turn up immediately into the funnel. Some of them will come in in the next three months and the next six months. And then you've got this ever turning wheel, basically, you know, that, that list of companies that you're targeting is not static. The companies change continuously as they move through the, the relationship with you. And so, you end up with this nice world of, yes, you're investing in the long term, but you're not investing in huge amounts of money that you would need to do to do a, a market-wide campaign. But you're also investing in today in terms of what the sales development team needs to drive the next opportunities in the funnel immediately sort of thing. So you can't get away from brand. It's an important part of the puzzle. Let's talk a little bit about Radiate B2B and your own entrepreneurial mm -hmm. success because you've run and started many successful companies over the years. What have you learned about the best way of hiring, motivating and selecting an amazing team that can help you build the company and build the brand that you ultimately want to bring into the world? All startups are about the people that are inside them. That's the simple reality. The, the, and, and whenever you build a startup, inevitably people think you're either crazy or stupid, one of the two, right? It's, it, it, and, and Maybe both. It, yeah, probably. Um, and and it's, it's because what you're building is not yet the, the norm, right? It's, it's not the default. It's not the standard. Uh, and if anything, it's as far away from that as you can possibly be. Um, so, you know, to start with, you're, you're looking for 
people who believe in this vision, right? The, the, the people who actually see the same thing you believe. But then beyond that, I always look for people who are curious, who are inquisitive. You know, I've been lucky to always work at the cutting edge of tech. And, and you know, for many, many years out of my career, my, certainly by far the majority, I've never really viewed it as work as a result. It's always been fun pushing the envelope and pushing what's possible. And so, you know, in the early days, you want people like that, who've got that drive, who've got that tenacity, you know, who can deal with the ups and the downs. But then, you know, as you scale and you start to bring on more people, it's less about what's possible because now you start to understand what's, you know, you can see what's possible and it's starting to become the normal. It's starting to get hyped up. And that's actually the tricky part because you then get people who are caught up in all the hype and they're not really actually engaged with what's possible and innovating and trying to actually make it happen. And so you have to try and still find those people that have got that drive and that passion for what you're trying to achieve. And how do you find those people? What's your hiring process? How do you think about identifying them, recruiting them? What are the qualities that they share? Talk us through your process for doing that. So I'm not a big fan of long numbers of interviews. I mean, we're small, we're a small business, you know, I suppose you could invest huge amounts of time in the interview process. We, we don't, we do two, maybe three interviews. There might be some form of work alongside that, especially if you're obviously in, if you're in the sales side, but really it's about understanding the why of that, that individual, right? What, what is it about that person? You know, we ask specific questions that will, you know, they'll, they'll answer it and, and the way they answer it is what's interesting to us. It's not about a right answer or a wrong answer. It's the thought processes and the thinking and, and how they do things that we're more interested in. And then, you know, so, and you could boil that down to two things, right? We don't, we don't necessarily just look for skills. We look for the personality, the characteristics of that individual, I think is the best way of putting it. We can teach skills. Agency Dealmasters produce strategic B2B podcasts for agencies and brands so you can win new business and generate new leads. We've helped several businesses create shows to start new business conversations with their ideal target customers and generate new business revenue in the process. It works so well for one client, they've completely stopped all other forms of marketing to focus 100% on podcasting as their main source of new business and lead generation. They've generated over a million pounds worth in new business revenue over the last 14 months. No other channel gives you unprecedented access to your ideal target buyers that includes ABM, email and other direct approaches. To find out how a strategic B2B podcast could help your business, head over to agencydealmasters.com or email me at nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Last couple of questions before we get into our speed round, our favorite <laughs> questions that we ask that we ask all of our guests. So as you think about the next chapter of Radiate mm -hmm. B2B in your evolution, what do you think is the most effective next chapter like what is that next chapter for you guys what does that look like and how are you going to get there these are exciting times i think to be in account-based marketing and to be in b2b marketing generally actually for me you know the market isn't going to stand still all the definitions and thought processes around what's best practice what isn't what's working what's not are changing continuously 
you know, we learn every day, we do new types of campaigns. I mean, we had one client who targeted their competitors with advertising <laughs> and we learned a whole load from, from that, you know, not something that would normally be top of my list of things to think about, right? right. But, you know, our clients are experimenting, we're experimenting, we're putting processes in place. We're at what I call a really nice stage where, you know, the, the demand is there and, and we're busy keeping up with that demand in terms of, um, you know, delivering the platform. But we've got to look beyond that at what's next and, and what are we going to build next and so on and so forth. I mean, you know, I, I always joke I've got a, a roadmap that's five years plus long. And it's for us, it's not about it's not about the length of the roadmap. It's it's about what do we say no to today, tomorrow. That's the most important thing, and that changes based on our conversations with our customers and partners and fans and evangelists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, really, really interesting stuff. Last question before we get into our, our speed round. Okay, it's about leadership and and DNI. Well, specifically diversity and and inclusion in the in the agency mm-hmm. and kind of just. B2B world in general um, on the brand side. Representation of minorities in in the agency world is shockingly poor, equally poor on the the brand side as well. Is the industry doing enough? What more can be done? And and what's your personal viewpoint on this? We can always do more. I mean, our unconscious biases are always there. And the more we shine a light on them, the, the more proactive we can be at fixing it. You know, I'm obviously a, a minority, but we, you know, we get, we do, we try and work with universities to help people get into the industry. I mean, I remember when we started um, First Media, you know, the ability, none of us initially of the, of the initial team were from the marketing and advertising world. And, you know, we learned very quickly that the way we talked was not the way the marketing world hmm. talks. And and you don't, right. you know, when you're inside the marketing, I mean, I, you know, I've been inside the marketing world for decades now and you know for me it doesn't feel from from the place that i'm sitting it doesn't feel like the barriers are there except for the fact that i remember 20 years ago what it was like being on the outside of it Mm. and that hasn't changed it's just it's not very visible when you're inside it and so Mm. helping people get into the marketing world and the advertising world proactively you know the marketing world is it's not necessarily we do a really bad job i think as marketers of selling our industry right you go into a school and you talk about you talk about marketing they don't know what it is hmm. whereas sales you know they've all heard of they understand what sales is but they don't get what marketing sure. is um, and so we could do a better job there but actually helping the people those people who can't get into the marketing world who would like to you know there's a huge it's a cool place to be and that just means that supply of people trying to get in is quite high um and so sometimes you've got to look beyond the mass of people that are trying to get in and try and look to the the groups that through no fault of their own can't get in it's interesting i mean you say that um you go into schools and they don't know what what marketing is taught less of abn (laughs) aba right programmatic (laughs) talk to them about that the number of times they call me up on acronyms, right? Because just, yeah. Now you speak the lingo. Right. Twenty years in. Completely. Let's get into our favorite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. So I'm excited to ask you some of these them. These are always the most challenging. They are. <laughs> and these are the most interesting ones, especially because you have no prep. You have no idea what I'm gonna ask you or, or in what order. Exactly. Amazon Prime or Netflix? 
What are you watching or streaming that's good? Uh, Netflix. Hmm, interesting. Okay. What are you watching? Right now, I am watching Snowpiercer and Suits. Still on Suits? Is, isn't that, didn't that finish like 10 years ago? You know, I haven't even watched Mad Men. And, and for me, really? su- for me, Suits, actually, I've, I've watched the first episode of Mad Men. Okay. Um, me too. I got bored. Yeah, and that's partly why I never watched Suits. Um, is for me, Suits is the legal equivalent of, of Mad Men, basically, right? Yeah. But actually, uh, I, I think I'm on season two now or something. And it's been good fun to watch. But yeah, I'm, I don't tend to watch the latest crazes at the right time. Like I haven't even watched Breaking Bad yet, which I know <laughs> 10 years ago God. was huge or something. Are you going to tell me you haven't seen Game of Thrones? Oh, next, no, I did. I'm, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. So, so typically the sci-fi programs I will end up watching right. um, at, the, at, that, at that time. I live in a place called Kings Langley as well, which the producer of Game of Thrones happened to go past and managed to do a deal with the council to rename the village King's Landing for, for wow. one of the seasons, which was great fun. How cool is that? Yeah. Tell us about some of your favourite books. What do you read for personal and professional development? You know, I, 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 I'm not sure I can hold my head. Like I watch on LinkedIn the, the numbers of business books that people read. Say they read. Uh, yeah, probably. Post they read. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about business and I read tons of content online. So blog posts, you know, I miss, I miss the fall of, um, of RSS, which many of you will not know what it is, but was a way of staying on top of what content people write in, you know, in almost real time sort of thing. And so you didn't need to go from one website to the next. And so, you know, that's how I like to say, and a lot of the time, the books are a little bit further behind that, if that makes sense. And so I look at the book and go, yeah, I kind of read that already from blog posts. And so I've just, you know, there's exceptions. I mean, I don't often, before Radiate, I didn't often spend time on the sales side. And so Aaron Ross's sales book, I'm useless at names. Predictable. Um, predictable revenue or something like that. Yeah. Um, I read really last good. year. And, and so there's been a couple of sales books that I read, but again, now I'm on top of Avon's blog and, and, um, various other. He was a guest on the show. Was he? Yeah, he's a great guy. Mm. And, and so that's how I stay on top of business stuff. And then when it comes to reading, um, for me, reading falls into the same bracket as video games and TV. It's my way of relaxing. And so mm. I, you, I read plenty of fiction books, sci-fi books, history books. Tell us some of your favorites. You know, I'm useless with names. Um, <laughs> you know, the the book that I always remember um, was a book called Shantaram, which I loved, which was about a journey of a guy through India and beyond and on the run. And it's a great, you know, the characters inside it are great. So it's well worth a read if you oh. haven't read it. Okay, I will check it out. And then I read lots of sci-fi books. And, and honestly, most of them <laughs> blend into each other. Yeah. But it's you're a Trekkie or a, or a Star Wars guy? Both. I don't think you're, you're allowed to be both, okay. are you? But I'm both. I, I've been watching The Mandalorian, <laughs> which I've enjoyed. Brilliant. It's really good. But yeah, I like both. I, like I, the minute Star Trek is on TV, I will be tuned into it somewhere. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. I fail all the time. Uh, it's probably a little bit cliche. And there's, there's so many. So I learned, you know, I learned about the importance of documentation and structure in a business 20 years ago right without that you run into issues with people 
just because relationships change, people fall out, people make up, people want different things, whatever it happens to be. And so I learned, you know, that was a mistake I made with an early startup. I, I learned that I spend so much time playing with new technology that what I think will happen with that new technology is often quite far removed from the current day. And so with Radiate, we started off for the first couple of years as a marketing agency rather than as a technology platform. And I do that because it forces me to talk to the market and service the market and understand what it needs from a manual standpoint. And then I automate it and deliver it through the product. And it, it keeps me closer to the market than um, if I'm just brain box. I and mean, if I was just, you know, I, I can, I remember the, I drew up a wireframe and everything four years ago of a whole new marketing automation platform that um, encompassed the whole of ABM. And, you know, we learned pretty quickly the market wasn't ready for that four years ago. Mm. Really fascinating. Last couple of questions and then I'll, okay. I'll let you go. What advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who wants to start their career in B2B marketing? That's a really tricky one because there's, there's lots of different ways you can go. I, you, can, you can go the deep way into a single area of B2B marketing and learn that way and get in and do very well. Um, or you can try and expose yourself to lots of different areas in B2B marketing. I, like both, I think what I would say to somebody who's thinking about B2B marketing is, is now's a great time to get into B2B marketing because if you were coming into B2B marketing five years ago, you know, a lot of the best practice is defined like it is today. And you've got to come in and you just have to deliver to that and you have to learn it and do it. Whereas today you can come in and go into a, an innovative B2B business and be learning continuously about new ways of doing things. And it's what I love doing, right? So there's something about coming into something new and learning as that industry develops mm. that just makes everything more interesting. Um, now, I'm being a little bit biased because I'm talking really to people who are a bit like me. Um, not everyone's like that. And so that's probably the other thing I'd probably sure. say is spend some time reflecting as to who you are, right? And and don't just take the first B2B job that comes up because, uh, you know, knowing who you are is, makes a big difference mm. in how you succeed in a job. And my final question, Riaz, what is it you know about B2B marketing today that you wish you knew right at the beginning of your career? Yeah, that's an impossible question. I, I can't even remember. <laughs> Uh, well, I can tell you this. I've built my career off data. And probably the the biggest thing that I learned is you can be over-reliant on data. You know, data will only tell, take you so far. You have to understand the people within your market as well. And, and you know, when you come into B2B, you get presented with this stereotype of a, of a, and I don't think it's true, but you know, you'll hear it every now and again of this gray world where, you know, you've got teams of people who, who just build products that, that meet a functional need and, and that's it. Right. And there's no fun or sexiness to it whatsoever. And it's completely untrue, hmm. completely not true. And, you know, one of the things that I learned very quickly was actually you need to understand the people. Hmm. It's not, it's not something that's just pure logic that comes out of data. Great place to end. Riaz, thank you so much for doing this. No, no worries. Thank you. It's lovely to talk to you. We have been speaking with Riaz Kanani. He is currently the founder of Radiate B2B. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 120 such conversations we've had now with world-class leaders in the agency world. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please follow me on Twitter at Nathan Annie Barber. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Anita Beckoldi is our production assistant. Sarah Spence is our booker slash project manager. Tyler Baller is our editor. Christoph Boaszczyk is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Annie Barber. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. What if I told you there was a way that you or your clients could speak directly to a captive audience of senior agency leaders, CEOs and managing directors of some of the biggest agencies in the world? Well, that's what you get when you sponsor the Agency Deal Masters podcast. We have thousands of monthly listeners from all over the world, and it's not just agency owners. Over 25% of our audience are also senior marketing brand leaders from the likes of Aviva, BMW, Salesforce, and Google. As we continue to attract big names to the show like Adobe, Revolut, and Virgin Money, you can be sure that Agency Deal Masters will be the place for you to get your brand's message directly into the ears of the people that you wanna be speaking to. So head over to agencydealmasters.com sponsor or email me at nathan at agencydealmasters.com to find out more.